Do you have, uh, have you ever had favorite movie, favorite song, maybe that you go back to all the time? You think about that? If you have a, if you have a favorite song, I mean, think about how often you've listened to it. You don't just put it on once, right? And listen to it went, well, I've heard it once today, or I've heard it once this week, or I've heard it once this month. No, you wear that thing out, don't you? It's something that you just want to see all the time. Or maybe like a favorite movie, you have a favorite movie that you've watched over and over, and you can just quote the lines right along with it as it goes along. My, my, my great-niece, I was told this week by uh, my sister, Cheryl, said that she got a video of our great-niece, uh, my great-niece, her granddaughter, and um, that they had a karaoke set up in a place, and they put on the songs from Frozen, and that not only did my great-niece get up and sing word for word, but she was doing all the elf's emotions <laughs> and everything with it, stomping her feet in the right place and doing this. Because when you have a story that's good or something that you like or something that you've seen over and over and over again, you, you don't just do it once. You know, a lot of people uh, have, have a fear of public speaking, and that's kind of what I do for a living. And one of, the, one of the issues you come into when you speak in front of people all the time is you begin to think, well, I've shared this story before. And you know what happens every year? Easter happens every year. And we share this story, and sometimes you, you, tend to, you tend to think that you have to do something different, but the truth is, no, the, the story's good. It's so good that we want to hear it over and over. We want to see it. We want to understand it. You don't have to jazz it up. You just throw in that VHS tape again as long as it'll play, and I will watch that movie again. You know what I'm saying? And so there, there's probably parts of this story today that I would hope that you're familiar with. Perhaps you've never heard. Uh, this story, but it's such a wonderful and powerful story. But I want to give you a little bit of a filter to look at the story, perhaps in a fresh way this year. And here's the, here's the filter that I'll give you. Have you ever asked yourself the question, where do I fit in the story? Where do I fit in the story of the crucifixion and the story that the Gospels tell us about this last week and the last few hours of Christ before he went to the cross, where do I fit in that? And if you're wondering, well, what do you, what do you mean? Well, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you have a favorite movie or favorite song or something, you've, you've imagined being in that moment, right? I know growing up that I had uh, you know, my cousin, we called Star Wars cousin. Um, as a matter of fact, she uh, reached out to me on Facebook today and put the Han Solo trailer up and was like a question mark. And I said, yeah, you just let me know and I'll come get you. I think we've seen all the Star Wars movies together. And when we were little, what did we do? She was Princess Leia and I was Luke Skywalker. We just played. We were in the story. I'm not going to tell you that we ever switched roles because that means something totally different in today's culture now. But, um, but you know, we got into the story and we imagined ourselves doing that. You, you live this stuff out. And uh, that's what I'm looking at today. As you look at this story and as you understand more of what, <clears throat> what we celebrate and why we celebrate Easter and why the whole world recognizes this. Where do you fit in this story? We're going to look at it from Mark's perspective. And so we have obviously several different versions of it that we see in Scripture. Not different versions, pardon me, that's a bad way to say that. We have several different accounts of it. And what I mean by that is you, you take a group of people, you know, we all go get on a bus and we go and we go see the Rangers play. And we come back and you ask people, well, how was the game? Somebody's going to be talking about hot dogs. Somebody's going to be talking about the pitcher's throwing motion. Somebody's going to be talking it was hot. Somebody, you're going to get the same account 
of the same event that everybody went to, but you're going to get it from different angles, and that's what we get in Scripture all the time, which, again, helps us see where we could possibly fit in this story. It's so important, then, understand this before we even dive into this today. That's why it's so important that you share your story as well. Because when you talk to people about different angles that happen of this event or this thing that's happened, and you grow in your knowledge and understanding of what it actually means to have been there or to see that, that's why it's so important that you share your story. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what God means to me because it helps other people then begin to see a bigger picture of how God moves in the lives and hearts of people still today. So smile a little. That's free for you today. But what we see here, you know, the book of Mark, over, over a third of the book of Mark and over actually half the book of John account for just the last seven days of Jesus' life on earth. Just the last seven days. As a matter of fact, a lot of their, a lot of their uh, accounts deal not just with the last seven days, but a lot with just the last 24 hours. I mean, imagine that. He was here on this earth for 33 years. He, he had a three-year walk in ministry with the disciples, and it all leads up to this that is happening at this point in time. And they take most of their time in writing their gospel account, and it deals not just with the last week, but with that last, the last day of here of what's going on it's so important for us to understand that and so Palm Sunday is today and as we celebrate and as the kids did such a wonderful job of coming in with the palm branches and and praising in that way that was a reminder of what had happened at the first part of this week when Jesus approached Jerusalem and people were rejoicing and they thought the Messiah was coming and so they were they were laying down their coats in front of him they were praising him with palm branches and they were they were just singing praises and so happy that Jesus was here, but we get to the end of the week, and it's a totally, totally different picture. How does it turn around that fast? You know, all of this leads to the cross, and we sing that song. It's a wonderful song, the old rugged cross that we sang before here, and I, I want to just help you understand some perspective, if you will, about the cross, perhaps to help you think about it in, in a way that gives it more meaning today, and, and this is what I'll say up front, and you'll hear me say this a lot today. The cross is a reminder of what man can do. The cross is a reminder of what man can do. The empty tomb is a reminder of what God can do. And we need to understand that. You know, Jesus Christ has overcome your sin, and he's overcome my sin not by his death and burial, but by his resurrection. And as we understand this story even more, and as we look at the tragedy that's happening as it leads to the cross, what we need to understand is that we have a place in that story. Where is it? What is my place in this story? Because when God himself came in the form of man and walked on this earth, the way that man responded to that was to nail it to a cross. And that's the best that man can do. That's what we did. That's the truth of the cross. It's, I understand it's hard to make a nice little gold necklace out of an empty tomb. It's hard to maybe walk around with that symbol. And so we use that symbol of the cross. But that symbol of the cross needs to remind us that I did that. But it also needs to point us to the fact that the story doesn't end there. The story continues with the empty tomb and the power of God. And so, yes, we do cling to the old rugged cross, and we do remember what it stands for and what it means, but it's the power of the empty tomb of why we can 
move forward. And when we look at this story and when we wonder where our place is, let me just go ahead and tell you, we all have a tendency to do this. We all have a tendency to sit on the backside of anything that's happened and look at it and say these words, well, I'd have done that different. Don't we all? I mean, whether it was coaching the game or whether it was looking at a historical, well, I'd have probably done that different. But the truth is that's easy for us to say because you weren't there. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand how did we get to this point, but hopefully as we walk through this today, you'll understand a little bit more of how we come to this point. You know, Jesus came into Jerusalem looking like he was about to establish earthly authority. The disciples are excited. The disciples are thinking, man, I'm one of the 12. This is about to happen. This is going to be great. The people are rejoicing, but then we know what happens within a week. And What was unique about that particular week, even, is it was a little bit of a different mode of operation for Jesus. You know, he had been teaching out in the villages, and it's been kind of, hey, let's let's not say anything about this. It's not time yet. But this was a little bit different mode of operation. And what we see is that Jesus comes in, and all looks good. But then we know that in less than a week, and actually in less than a day, he was betrayed, he was denied, And he was deserted. So let's look at what that means for us today. In Mark chapter 14, the first thing that we're going to look at is his betrayal. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17, it says this, When evening came, he arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining and eating, celebrating the Passover, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. So you have that picture, right? They're all there. And, of course, Jesus has been telling them that we're going into Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. It hasn't sunk in yet. He's been telling them leading up to this point, and now they're at this Passover meal, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 19 tells us they began to be distressed and say to him, one by one, surely not I, which is exactly what you and I would have done, right? Well, that's that's not me. I'm, I'm surely not me. He said to them, it's one of the twelve, the one who's dipping bread in the bowl with me, for the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man whom the Son of Man has betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And so we look at this story and we know on this side of history that soon after this point, Judas left that place and he went and he sold out Jesus Christ for 30 silver coins and he forged together a plan to turn him over to the authorities at the time. And we look back on that story and we think, well, I I can't believe he did that. I just don't understand how he could have been walking with Jesus and seen him and known him and and still come to this point where he says, well, now I'm just going to hand him over. I'm going to betray him. How did he get to that point? What does that mean? How, How did he get to the point where he would do that? Well, before we pick too much on Judas... We can move on to Peter. And we look at the account of Peter in verse 27. And it's typical Peter, isn't it? For those of you who are not familiar with Peter in Scripture, we know just from reading different accounts, Peter was, Peter was out there. He was the first one to get out and do things. You know, Peter, Peter's motto was ready, fire, aim. You know what I mean? We're just going to, bam, we're, we're going to get out there on this. He's outspoken. And verse 27 tells us that Jesus said to them, You know, all of you are going to fall away because it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I won't. No, Peter. <laughs> you look at verse 30, and Jesus looks at him and says, Truly I tell you, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And they all said the same thing. We pick on Peter, but Scripture tells us that they all said the same thing. Peter was just the spokesperson. You know, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I'm not talking about five years from now. I'm talking about five hours from now. This is all going to turn around and be in a different place. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Let that sink in. Most of us wake up and we go throughout our day and we think, pretty much the same type of routine thoughts, if you will. We're taking care of the same things. And, and when we look out and we project our own future, we never see things in the future that could absolutely and totally transform the way that our life is going to be lived, do we? We don't ever sit down and think. We, Peter didn't wake up that day and go, well, you know, Jesus, you probably are right. I probably am going to deny it. That, that's not the way that we think. But God knows us so well that not only is he's telling Peter that, Peter, you're going to deny me. He's doing this after he's washed his feet and while he's feeding him dinner. And God knows that already. And even in the midst of saying, hey, you're going to deny me, but just when I rise again, you follow me into Galilee. And that was like, woof, over the disciples' head. Jesus is still trying to tell them, hey, this is going to happen, but you're going to deny me. But Peter's just stuck on, I'm never going to deny you. This is not going to happen. You ever had that moment? You've absolutely and totally convinced yourself that this is it. I, I'm never going to do that again. It's never going to go this way. And then two days later, you're going, how'd that happen? We have that moment. We can see ourselves in Peter, can't we? We can get determined that this is never going to go this way again tomorrow or maybe the next day or I'll try again the next day. And So it's not hard for us even though we tend to look back on it and go, how could Peter possibly do that? We know what it's like to be absolutely convinced that I'm going to be like this and yet struggle to meet those standards because life happens and things happen that change the direction. And then so you see this betrayal. You see this denial because we know what happens. It's that after Jesus was arrested and led away and Peter kind of follows at a distance and He's in a courtyard, and this little girl comes up to him and says, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Not this big, burly guy, not somebody threatening Peter, but this little girl just comes up and says, hey, Weren't you with Jesus? And hmm, I don't even know this guy. I don't even know what you're talking about. Pretty amazing how things can turn around in just a matter of hours. And then, before we throw too many rocks at Judas and throw too many rocks at Peter. Let's look in verse 43 and pick up the story there. Jesus had been praying in the garden. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived, and with him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. And it tells us in verse 47, one of those 
who stood by drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that this was Peter. We also know from the other gospel accounts, this is an interesting story, that Jesus picked up the ear and healed the guy right there. Now, just stop for a minute. Can you imagine going, thanks for putting my ear back on. Now, could you put these handcuffs on and come with me? Because that's this moment that's happening. You're about to arrest this person for professing to be the Son of God, or actually they're not arresting him for that. They're arresting him because he's getting in the way of their religious activities. And he does this miraculous healing, but yet you're, you're still at the point where you're going, well, that, that doesn't change anything. So come with me. And it says the story goes on that Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple. You didn't arrest me, but scriptures must be fulfilled. Verse 50, you need to underline this in your Bible. You need to just remember this. As we walk toward Easter this week, as we remember the cross, but as more so we celebrate the empty tomb, verse 50, then they all deserted him and ran away. They all deserted him and ran away. Mark goes on to, give even more details about how determined they were to get away from this situation. He says, a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. He was so determined to get away from things, he was like, oh, you got me by the coat, you can have that, and just, I'm out of here. I am getting away from this situation. That's how determined, in a matter of five hours from going for, we're never going to leave you. We'll go to the death for you. We'll be by your side. And then here in just a few hours later, it's like, you can keep everything. I'll run around naked instead of being with you. It's just fine. I'm trying to get out of here. How does that turn around so fast? You see, we, again, look at the story. And we look at it in hindsight. We think, how could they ever do that? But yet we sometimes forget that we are in this story as well. Three years of an in-depth relationship with these disciples, and it was destroyed momentarily in a matter of hours. You ever had that experience? You ever had that experience? You've worked so hard and so long on something or with someone, and then just something happens, and in a matter of moments, it's, it's gone. We know what that's like. We know that can happen. We can look back at this and go, I can see that. These are his closest friends. And we've more than likely experienced something like that. And you know what? It's, it's possible that not only has it happened to us, but that it's happened from us as well. We've done that to people. So we can see that in the story. So again, I just say as a reminder that the truth of the cross is a reminder of what man can do, but the truth of the empty tomb is a reminder of what God can do. So let's look at the crowd for just a minute. You know, this crowd that was praising him as he was coming in to Jerusalem. And, and here these people were. <laughs> we know what happens in the story at this point in time. Jesus got handed over. He, he went in front of the Sanhedrin and he was, he was tried falsely. And they brought up charges against him. And they let him out. And they, now they're leading him out to Pilate. And Pilate's got to figure out what to do with him. And so... What's the crowd saying in this? Now, remember, these are the people, right? These are the people that just a few days earlier were laying down coats in front of them who were praising them with palm branches and who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord in the highest. God, save us. We're so 
happy that you're here. We're dancing. We're rejoicing. What about the crowd? Well, the crowd is easily swayed because the same crowd that was saying, save us, there's now the people who were in the crowd that was mocking Jesus. They were spitting on him on the way to the cross. And why? Just say this. This is because that Jesus didn't fit their image of what they wanted a Messiah to be. And so they turned real easily. Perhaps they were praising Jesus at a point in time, saying, save us with something in their head, but save us like this. We want you to save us in this way. We want you to save us from these things. And then when they looked and they saw that Jesus wasn't going to do it that way, it was real easy for them to turn around and turn on things. Now, before you get too hard on the crowd there, let's just think about the nature of a crowd, right? If something's on fire, we all want to gather around and watch it burn, right? It's like, where's that smoke coming from? Let's take a trip, grab a coat, let's go watch. You know, if there's a car on the side of the road and it's out, what, what are we all doing? We're rubbing. So if something like this is happening, it's, it's, it's drawing a crowd. So you have a little bit of that crowd mentality happening. But then even further, ask yourself this question. How well do I do when I don't get my way? Now, some of us have learned to pout maturely, right? Because we're adults. <laughs> and I can't act that way, but boy, I can feel that way on the inside. And I can do it. And when we don't get our way, let's just be honest, it's, it's tough. And so here you have a crowd that had this expectation, and they're not getting their way, and now they've turned. Now, if you think that's difficult to comprehend, how could that happen? Go home and turn on the TV to your news channels, specifically your political news channels. And once you get tired of that in about five minutes, you'll be able to answer the question of how when people don't get their way, why do they react in such a certain way? Where all of a sudden it's this mob mentality that wants to get on everything and think that I can't believe that this person that's a leader who I expected to do things this way is not doing it, so I am now going to, oh wait, that sounds like today, doesn't it? So we can understand what's happening. It's, yeah, we look back at it and go, I can't believe the crowd crucified them. I can't believe the disciples deserted him. I can't believe Judas betrayed him. I can't believe all this happened, but honestly, we can. We can see how this happened. And for some of us, we can see ourselves in this story. It tells us in Mark 15, starting in chapter 15, starting in verse 6, it says, at the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. Now, there was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Now, here's a little clue, just a little side note. Barabbas had attempted what the people wanted Jesus to accomplish, which was he was attempting to overthrow the rulers. So the people ended up choosing to release the person who did what they wanted to do as opposed to the person who did what they needed to do. It's kind of ironic in that. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them, as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him and then verse 15 
And again, somewhere to underline in your Bible. The next words in my Bible say this, verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had the ability and the authority to be able to do something for someone that you knew was the right thing to do, but because of the backlash or the crowd or the repercussion, you just chose not to do it? Or you chose to sit idly by and let things happen? Can we imagine anything like that happening? Sure we can. We see it happen all the time in our world. Because of the fear of the crowd, Pilate went on with what was happening. Now, we know, again, sitting at this point in history and sitting on this side of the story, that when we look at the Bible, we now understand that a biblical image of a successful person in leadership or a successful earthly leader or a king is, is a picture of a servant. Not exclusively a servant, but a picture of a servant, one who will do the right thing in the face of extreme opposition, one who will put the needs of others before his own comfort, one that does what's necessary for the greater good, even if it's difficult or uncomfortable in the temporary. And so this is a picture of a person who's willing to lay down anything of their own that would hinder the advance of the kingdom or the greater good. And that's what we know Jesus was. But at this point in time, we saw a picture of a person who had the ability to do that, but wanting to satisfy the crowd, chose to do something different. So the truth of the cross is a reminder of what man can do. But the truth of the empty tomb is a reminder of what God can do. Now, Jesus didn't enter into Jerusalem at this point in time to restore it. He was actually coming to judge it, and that caught a lot of people off guard. He was coming in there to accomplish what God had called him to do. And we know that Jesus didn't settle for the best that this world has to offer, that he spent his time doing what God had called him to do, even though, and don't miss this, guys, even though he could have chosen to do something different. Now, that's key. Because if you believe that Jesus didn't have a choice and he was just here and he was going to be at the cross no matter what happened, I think you demean the gift of Jesus on the cross. I think you belittle the work of God. Because choice means something. When you make a choice to do something, it has a lot of weight. If, if we just feel like that we're just, well, we're just here and we don't have any control over anything and I have no say, I just have to, then, then that's... That's a dangerous road to go down. I absolutely believe that everything that we read in the scripture, as Jesus was in the garden and he was struggling and he was praying, he really was tempted and he could have gone a different way. But he chose to go to the cross. And that means something to me. Didn't it belittle it to you to think, well, Jesus had to go to the cross for me, so what's the big deal? As opposed to saying, no, Jesus had a choice and he chose to go to that cross for me and for you. But it wasn't just for me and for you. As a matter of fact, he went to the cross for the glory of God. 
He went to the cross so that God could be magnified and glorified. And because God is magnified and glorified, then we are the benefactors of God's great glory in our life. Ultimately, Jesus entered Jerusalem with his mind set squarely on what God had called him to do, even though it was a very, very difficult task. And there's something incredibly powerful then about him choosing to go through with that. Knowing that you have the ability to be able to do something for yourself, but laying that down and choosing to do that for somebody else is humbling, isn't it? It really is. And again, you know what that's like. Anybody who has children knows what, that li- knows what that's like. Because I guarantee you've done that at some point in time. You've, you've laid aside the things that you would, might want to do for yourself, and you've done that for your children. As I, I've, I've heard, and I don't want to experience for some time now, but I've heard that if you have grandchildren, that even goes to a greater level of being willing to lay things down. And I can't even imagine those of you who have great-grandchildren and stuff like that. That just goes to a whole nother level. But we know what that's like to say, I could do this for myself, or I could lay my stuff aside, and I could bless this other person and do a greater good. And we know what it's like to be on both ends of that. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. He could have done something for himself, but he chose to do something for the glory of God. And he also, when he did that, gave us meaning in life and purpose and the ability to live life differently. A verse that I would encourage you to memorize in Scripture, it's one that we share here a lot. And I think it really sums up the message of the gospel. And it's this in Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what that verse says. It it sums it all up. It sums up this story that we've said, that while the disciples betrayed and deserted and denied him, Christ still washed their feet, and he died on that cross because he loves them. And even in the midst of their sin and their struggle, he did that. He did that for you and for me as well. That's why I say again, it's, it's not the power of the cross, it's the power of the empty tomb. The cross is a picture of what man can do. The empty tomb is a picture of what God can do. Why do you say that so much, Pastor? Well, because if the story stopped at the cross, it's nothing more than a sad and tragic story. That there was a good man who did good things, and he had this following of people, and then all of a sudden he made the leadership mad, and they hung him on a cross and killed him, and everything disbanded, and well, that's the end of that. That's just a sad and tragic story. But that's why we look forward to next week. That's why we come together on Easter and we celebrate the empty tomb. It's going to be a great day of worship. I'm excited. Our our choir is going to be sharing this story in music next week. That's going to be fantastic. And so I'm excited about how we're going to celebrate that and come together. But that's the picture here. And you have to understand that if if we want to put Jesus up and we want to celebrate him, then we must celebrate him as the one who came and gave himself up to die for our sins, not as the one who comes to bring us glory, but as the one who came to bring God glory and lay down his life for us even when he didn't have to. You see, the people in the crowd were angry. Now, listen to this. I'm I'm about done. The people in the crowd were angry because they wanted Jesus to save them from their enemies. And they had no idea that what they really needed to was to be saved from themselves. Now, how many times do we think, God, I need you to take care of those people? (laughs) 
I need you to do this. And what we really need is we really need a change of heart. It begins with a change of heart. And that's the invitation that God gives to each and every one of us. God did change the world. He can change the world. And he will change the world. But he'll do it through your heart before he does it through anything else. And that's why he came and he laid down his life for us. The people were angry because they wanted to be saved from their enemies. And they needed to be saved from themselves. So as we close this up, where do you fit in the story? You know, I think the truth is, when I look at the story, I find myself a little bit in every part of it. It's not just one of them. Maybe some days I feel more like one than the other, but I can see it. I can see how this could happen. And like I said, it's a story of betrayal. It's a story of denial. It's a story of desertion. But the story doesn't end there. The resurrection changes everything. And that's why we celebrate it. Jesus offers restoration to a broken and sinful heart if we will come to him and give it to him. So my prayer is that if you have never come to Jesus, accepted that forgiveness that he has, and and accepted him to be Savior, that you would do that today. And if you have done that, then there's no greater time than this week to share that message and celebrate it with someone else.